talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities, and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play. If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. Welcome back, you holy rollers of dice, to Season 1, Episode 5 of Rollin' Thunder. Since we've last posted, there's been a ton of activity in the community, and we'll try to touch on most of it. But first of all, by the time this episode goes live, nearly all of the One Big Weekend local tournaments will have taken place. Here's looking at you, Australia. And if you're anywhere near Morley on the 28th of this month, drop into Good Games at 7 p.m. But back to the topic at hand. Congratulations to all the winners out there. The top two finishers from each event are now qualified to play in the online final for all of the one big weekend events out there. If you finished in the top two, you're in. But these qualifications can pass down if for some reason you aren't able or don't care to play in this particular tournament. You're probably wondering at this point, when is this happening and what's the format for the event? Well, it's taking place on April 27th. As for the format, We've settled on 2018 Modern, but here's the twist, LCG constructed, meaning no blind product. That means all starters, which includes Iron Man War Machine and Superman Wonder Woman, all team packs from Doctor Strange forward, all 2018 Modern promos, and all campaign boxes from Turtles 2 forward are legal for this event. Now, the only caveat is we're not certain that Europe and Australia will receive the Justice Boxes and Team Packs in time, but it looks very promising at this point, so we're going to roll with it, and if we have to make an adjustment, we'll let everybody know. If you're in the top two, you have until April 13th to sign up and commit, and you can do that from a link on the homepage at rollandthunder.xyz. I'm going to put a button there right near the top of the page, so click on it and sign up, or send us an email and let us know that you can't do it so that we can let the people behind you know they're eligible. There will also be links to sign up at the Dice Coalition and at DM North, so there's no shortage of places to sign up, so we encourage you to do so and do so promptly. Once again, I'm giving away a Mighty Thor factory set that I took home from Worlds this year to the winner, and we're also going to throw in some other great prizes, so come out and play. I know some of you folks out there haven't played online before, but we hope that won't discourage you. If you're curious about how to do it, the first thing you should probably do is go to the homepage of the Dice Coalition. If you check in the menus there, you'll see a drop-down menu for online play, where you'll get instructions for how it works and links to some very helpful resources like DM Armada's How to Play Dice Masters Online videos. And to further ease the transition into online play, we're planning on having a segment of the next episode of Rolling Thunder be dedicated to the topic. Okay, so I think that covers the One Big Weekend news for the moment. You can keep up to date with any news and results at our One Big Weekend online page at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash O-B-W-O. Also in the news, there were a bunch of spoilers out of the Gamma Trade Show for the upcoming X-Men Forever set, the next Warhammer set, and even a little sneak preview of the WWE box. We also got word of a new Spider-Man campaign box and team pack out there too, so there's a lot of new product coming down the pike from multiple IPs, so that's promising. I'll throw in some links in the show notes to this episode, not to mention links to all the things we're going to be discussing throughout the rest of the episode, at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 105 for season one, episode five. They also just finished up a big tournament at Chris and Rob's game room. Congratulations to James and Mr. Laurier for coming in one and two in that. And finally, yesterday on Facebook, Jimmy O'Brien from WizKids linked to an announcement about the 2019 Dice Masters rotation. You can find a link in the show notes to that announcement, but basically what they've decided to do is for the most part, keep the 2018 rotation, but ban Super Rare Yon T Pureblood and a couple of the promos like Strahd. They've also said that they're excited to have national tournaments around the world, so that's really great news. Some people were a little disappointed that they didn't go deeper and are worried that the game might still be a little too fast, but I think WizKids wanted to keep all the potential synergies for Justice League and the X-Men in play for the newer sets, which should be fun to see. There's no way they were going to please everybody, but this is definitely good news for those of us interested in the competitive Dice Master scene. 
Also, for those of you who are worried about the speed of the game, I'll bet WizKids is going to roll out some solid control cards to help balance the game out a little bit. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, and not to be overlooked, on that Facebook Dice Masters Unlimited thread, Jimmy also said, and I quote, Keep your eyes peeled for Origins news. It's going to be a fun time for Dice Masters players, even if I don't have details to announce today. So how's that for a tantalizing morsel dangling in the breeze? Sounds tasty. All right. Anyway, let's get on to business here, shall we? Today on the show, we have with us Mr. Synergy with Fist Energy, a winner of multiple WKOs, a top 16 finisher at the 2015 World Championships, a top 20 finisher at the 2016 U.S. National Championships, a top 20 finisher at the 2017 U.S. National Championships, and a top 20 finisher at the 2018 National Championships. The Sultan of Swarm himself, Mr. Truby Flexi Turner. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> that, that was quite the lead up. And yeah, we, we don't talk about 2017, so. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was looking through the results and I thought, oh, poor Truby. So often you were like 17th. On the top, yeah. you're just outside. I mean, literally one spot from being top 16 so many times. And it was just not even, it was like the record was even, it was just like smallest hair in tiebreakers that kind of pushed you just one slot out. Yeah. And there's been, there's been a couple like, you know, uh, very, very close, like <laughs> intentional draws and stuff that kept me out. But yeah, uh-huh. it happens. I'm, I'm not bitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are glad to have you on the show today. You know, you've always had super, super creative builds, and you're just a consummate helper of the community and tremendous pilot. All the teams you've run have been super creative, and, you know, you're not playing the spot-on meta, so uh, tip of the hat to you in that regard, sir. Well, thank you. Actually, that's something that irritates my wife, Melissa, sometimes, because we'll be practicing for, you know, worlds or nationals or wk or whatever and i'll be playing some weird team and she's like you're not even playing what everyone's gonna play why am i playing against you i'm, I'm not getting any real good practice here Got it. <laughs> well so right out of the gate i, I want to extend like a gigantic communal thank you for all the time sweat and tears you've put into not only the dice coalition but now you've taken over the development of the transition zone app for android devices as well so I'm going to throw you a big softball. Can you tell everybody out there about the tools you've created to help the Dice Masters community over at the Dice Coalition, as well as the things that you've started to do with the Transition Zone app itself? Right. First thing is the the team builder. That's uh, tb.dicecoalition.com. I actually didn't create that. That's gone through several iterations. I'm blanking on the name of the original creator. I'm sorry, but I, it's in the, the bottom of the page if you scroll all the way down. Right. He was somewhere in Europe, right? DM yeah, it was Retrobox like, was the name yes, of the DM. website. DM.retrobox.eu. That was then taken over by uh, Pink Frankenstein, Johnny. He was maintaining it for a little while. Shout out to Johnny. And then we brought it on to Dice Coalition, and Johnny and I were teaming up, keeping it updated. And now I've sort of taken over sole maintenance role and trying to keep it up to date. But then on top of that, I also created the draft pack generator. So we had the draft packs for the D&D Tomb of Annihilation set and the Thor set, which I absolutely loved. I thought they were a blast. And yep. I thought it'd be great to be able to recreate those with older sets. So that was the point of the draft pack maker. And now continuing to update it so you can use the new sealed product yeah. in the draft pack generator. Yeah, which allows us to have that draft-like experience. I think it's we've been using it all the time, and we're just we are, calling them Truby Drafts at this point because they are awesome. <laughs> we are big Truby Draft enthusiasts down here in Los but, Angeles. But sorry, we interrupt. Just want to say, try it, everybody. If you haven't tried a Truby Draft, try it, because if you're itching to draft, which a lot of scenes are, uh, this is a way to do it. Anyway, so <laughs> go on. Sorry. I uh, yeah, just got the, uh, the Justice Set input into the uh, draft pack generator this week. A new set comes out, my 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 schedule gets very packed because, yeah, with 40K, I was thankful enough to have WizKid send me an early copy to do uh, videos for. Right. Uh, and so I had that super early. I was able to get everything in, in place, and it was all out there, and people could get a good look at it long before release. Right. Unfortunately, didn't get it early this time, so been scrambling to get scans and get everything in. Actually, that's really interesting because I'm currently in this weird state where I feel like I had a dream last night where the spoilers for X-Men Forever came out, but now I'm also kind of almost remembering a conversation I had with my dad in the car where there were spoilers, 
and I'm not sure if there are spoilers or not, and I really want to check now. There were a couple. There, were <laughs> there a couple are a few. There are yeah. a few out there. So is there an economy of scale to this? I mean, I, I'm just feeling bad for you right now, like scanning all the stuff, but at least if you're doing the Transition Zone app and the Dice Coalition tools, maybe one scan counts for both? It does. <laughs> that, that's actually one of the reasons I decided, because, yeah, the developer of Transition Zone, I was backing out and wasn't going to update it any longer because he mostly had it as a tool for keeping uh, your collection together and knowing what you had. But when everything is sealed product, he didn't feel there was really a reason for the app to continue to exist. Right. So he just didn't feel like the effort was worth it anymore. So I figured since I was already doing all this stuff with the Dice Coalition, instead of having someone else go through the same effort, it's sort of having the effort a little bit because I've already got the scans and can reuse some of the stuff I've already done to get it in and get it uploaded and get it updated. Well, thank you. I know what kind of time that involves, so thank you very much for, there, for everybody out here. There's also the dice procs here, right? You did yeah. that as well. That that wasn't me. Uh, I forget who came up with that, but uh, yeah, that, that was not one of mine. Well, that dice proxy tool is incredibly useful, especially now with the team packs and the limited dice count in the Justice set. It can be really helpful for those of us trying to figure out an identically statted die to bring to a local tournament. Exactly, yeah. I also have to say, you know, I didn't do all the scanning for Justice this time. I just scanned all of the Justice set. Uh, Lauren Kay, one of the other Dice Collection fellows, mm -hmm. uh, helped me. She did the scans for Doom Patrol and Mystic. So I'm not alone. So I, I, do, get, I do get help. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> so, yeah, a recap of your one big weekend event. Like, what did you run? What did you see? Were there any surprises? Well, uh, yeah, unfortunately... When I have a, a sort of a standing rule, because I run the events at our store, if we have an odd number of people, I sit out. It's basically one of those things, all of our players travel further than I do to get to the event. So if they come out to play, I don't want them to have to sit in a buy. I sat out of the one big weekend event. Uh, I did bring a Justice League team that was using, uh, I was actually going to try out the Black Canary with Strike. Uh, I was mm. pretty heavy on Strike. Lots of removal, basically trying to get her in with Overcrush uh, early and often. but. I didn't get a chance to try it out. <laughs> Were you going to be fabricating her around? What, what, what was your feeling about Strike? I tried to play with, around with it a little bit and kept getting frustrated by my Strike characters all wanted to come to the party at the same time. You know? Actually, yeah, I should have added that, yeah, our, our rules for the event were DC only, Golden Age. Okay. Lantern Ring was banned. Okay. So basically trying to take out that one power card. Was Constantine there all the time or not really? Well, that's the thing that's funny is a lot of our players are newer and a lot more relaxed. So a lot of the power cards you'd expect weren't there. There was no Constantine, no Ultraman. So <laughs> That's cool, though. That's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I was worried going in that there'd be Ultraman, but nope, there wasn't. We had two Guy Rush, but even the two people who were using Guy didn't really rush him that much. So it was actually a pretty relaxed, cool day. That's great. You know, I'm, that's one of the things I really liked about this uh, one big week in format in general. Is it allowed the local scenes to figure out what they wanted to do. I mean, we had some where it was much more casual. They played more casually and had a good time and everybody did what they wanted to do and it was perfect. And then there was other scenes that wanted to replicate more of the WKO experience. So they played much more competitively and that worked for them. So there was room for everybody in this, which I really like. I'm, I'm glad to hear that on your end. Right. And that's our, our thing was basically just trying. This was our first event since Justice came out. So it was kind of one half justice release party, one half, one big weekend. So Got uh, it. <laughs> yeah, they, a lot of people were just wanting to try out the new stuff. I'd say most of the teams were like 90% stuff from the justice block. So cool. Cool. For the record, our, our justice release party was a tribute draft. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Any cards that, that, that surprised people from the new set that were like, wow, this is, works a lot better than I thought it did or... One thing I actually was very surprised by is one of our players was using the Brainiac that doesn't let you attack with more than one die of the same affiliation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that totally slowed down the Guy Rush players. Like, it, it definitely <laughs> held them at bay. Uh -huh. he, he was able to basically get set up, you know, get things in place and hold off the Guy Rush and be able to do his thing. Unfortunately, he still ended up losing eventually, but it was just, it was a much slower game, which was great to see. And yeah. it also... Not one of the new cards, but one of the newer cards that uh, the Harley Quinn from the uh, Harley Quinn team pack that when she gets knocked out, everything gets nuked. Well, everything oh, yeah. gets rerolled. Yeah, that's an interesting card. Yeah. And very funny when someone has to attack with Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that is an awesome Guy counter. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that Brainiac, too, is surprisingly good. I mean, it's a one slot that can shut down. If you've got a team that's just all one affiliation, that card can wreck you. So yeah. <laughs> not a bad thing to remember if you're facing somebody who's running a mono affiliation team. Yeah, I was coming with the Justice League team, so that would have been bad <laughs> against me. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, a Justice League team ended up actually taking me out in top two, but it was I'm actually fine with that because since my dad was hosting the event, it wouldn't have looked very good if I won it. So <laughs> looking at a really good event, he was running a team up team versus uh, Patrick uh, Kellenberger was running a Justice League team, and it was a really good match. It could have gone either way the whole way through. It was a really fun one to watch. Yeah, that's our guy who won, Jonathan Lumen. I don't know if you remember Dane Lumen. But his little brother uh, uh, won our event. Oh, cool. And uh, he was running a lantern ring team and he was using team up. So he had like every lantern color. <laughs> right. That's double synergy. Yeah. And he was also using uh, what Black Lantern, Martian Manhunter, which was uh, actually another kind of cool counter to other people using Guy that you yeah. know, Martian Manhunter knocks out Guy and they're always taking, you know, one, two or three damage every time yeah. they attack. I like I it. Was, I, was, I was cheesing the, the Clayface global. <laughs> Um, I was doing, I, I had the pox walker with the swarm and gets plus one attack for every other pox walker in the field zone. I was just buying one of those clay facing it in. And then for one mask, I would now have two fists and then I'd just pay those two fists for the Cree captain global and then buy a venerable dreadnought for one. It's a powerful combo, but in hindsight, I'm feeling a little bit guilty because it's just kind of cheap and cheesy, and it's just like, oh, yeah, just, uh, now I'm paying two yeah. for Dreadnought. Like, that's, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, though. Right? We've, we've experienced, I don't know if you've had a chance to play around with it much right now, but that Clayface Global in Golden is, I don't want to say, eh, it's, it's broken. It's broken, especially with PXG and distraction, distraction and, you know, because you can play it on your opponent's turn. Right. So, you know, if you don't have a way to shut down globals, it reminds me like we're stepping back into a, what feels like, remember back in the day when Mask was the most powerful energy in terms of uh, globals and, and we were playing PXG and Distraction and, and like you better have a two cost Mask character have, like, on your team or you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> you know? right. yeah. It feels a little bit like that now if you're playing Golden, with, with especially with Clayface Global, because, you know, on your opponent's turn, as long as you have a mask character in your use pile, you can have two masks and you've got, you know. I mean, even so, in modern, you had, it's probably not a bad idea to be running like Billy Club or Quasar, especially Quasar, who in re recently I've been enjoying a lot with, with Clayface because you can just get stuff for so cheap with Quasar. A Bolt, which is kind of, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit less useful than some of the energy types right now. But just for a Bolt, you can get anything. It's just, but Clayface has made it more powerful. Yeah, I mean, I'm so. enjoying playing it right now because it's still new and there's all kinds of hijinks to be had with it. But I think, you know, once everyone's kind of played with it for a while, we may have to <laughs> revisit, like, how it's going to be used in Golden because it really just amps up mask power, I think, a lot. Yeah, there, there's some things I like with it, too, that I think we can get to a little bit later when we're talking uh, some of the later subjects. But uh, Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm eager to hear all of that. Awesome. But awesome. It, it's definitely a cool card, and yeah, it, it seems... Right for shenanigans. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, one of the areas I want to cover is the topic of how to handle the order of effect resolution in Dice Masters, and specifically the concept of the queue. You know, that, that seems to be something that throws even the most diehard veterans. Can you explain what you mean by a queue and maybe the difference between the way effects resolve in Magic the Gathering with their stack idea and our Dice Masters concept of the queue? Right. Of all things, this made sense to me because uh, I'm, I'm a software engineer and this right. is like an entry level computer science concept of first in, first out, last in, first out, the FIFO, LIFO type of uh, organization. So yeah, a first in, first out structure is a queue. A uh, last in, first out would be a stack. Uh, and that's what Magic always had was the stack. And cool. I, I came from Magic the Gathering and played that a lot. And I always found the stack a little confusing, but I, I got the idea. You know, it, it was one of those things I had to sit there and concentrate when all of these fast effects were firing off. <laughs> uh, so they're both computer terms? The, both those come from programming? Well, they, they've been around before that. But yes, the, the last in, first out, first in, first out is the, the computer science term. Got it. Cool. But yeah, with the Q, uh, and this is you know something that our, our, our British friends should be really keen on because they're <laughs> kings of the Q out there. Yes, but, they are. 
Uh, it, it's basically, yeah, it's like you're getting in a line at a teller. Whoever gets in line first is the first one to get out. And uh, right. that's sort of how our effects work in Dice Masters. So basically, you know, something happens and that goes into the queue. Something going into that queue can cause other things to happen. So, you know, responses to when fielded or when a basic action is used. And for that, the active player has their stuff go into the queue first, followed by the defending player or the inactive player. Each player gets to choose in what order their effects that are triggered go in. But right. you know, the active player is always first, all theirs go in first, then the inactive players. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense and helps get around a lot of these odd things that can be a little confusing right. <laughs> as yeah. uh, things are fired off and it gets, it gets a little confusing, but the, the queue helps a lot. Right. And I guess the big thing to note, I think that was throwing people before we had this concept, is that once something's in the queue, it's in the queue. You can't, even if that character is removed earlier in that sequence, the effect is still, quote, maintained by the player. So Correct. it's still going to fire off unless there was blanking, right? Or a text ignoring. Yes. Which we'll get into. That was one thing that really confused me when the, the concept of the queue was first entering my Dice Master's rules knowledge. I had Ultraman, and they had Shriek, and I had a Kryptonite in my reserve pool, right? So if I Kryptonite their Shriek, who's blanking my Ultraman, I don't get to use the effect that Ultraman does because when I played the Kryptonite, even though I get to choose the order of effects, when I played the Kryptonite, Ultraman didn't have text, so he was unable to go into the queue. Correct. And the other underlying rule to make note of in all of this is once an effect starts, you have to fully resolve it before moving on to the next effect. So trying to integrate these two things can sometimes be hairy, but if you really stop and think about it, it makes sense in a kind of a, a, a concrete way, which is nice, I think. And the, the only other thing that throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into stuff is the dwarf wizard who blanks dice rather than cards. Right. So that was causing some <laughs> consternation in, what, in 2016, I think, with yeah. uh, blanking Constantine with the dwarf wizard. But Constantine's effect would still be active because the card wasn't blanked, but the die was. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you have like a basic example of yeah. this so that we can just talk it through first and then we'll get more granular with some of the harder cases, perhaps. Yeah. And I actually have two pretty good basic examples using the new Phantom Stranger. Oh, cool. So, my first example there's Phantom Stranger empowering that uh, whenever an action die gets used, he gets plus one attack, plus one defense. So if we say he's active on level one, he has three defense and I'm the defending player. My opponent has an attune character active and plays magic missile. Mm -hmm. When that is used, the attune goes onto the queue, as does Phantom Stranger's ability, giving himself plus one plus one. It's in the queue, not resolved yet. So magic missile has targeted Phantom Stranger. And uh, when it's resolved, it deals him two damage. Now attune resolves and that deals him another damage. So he's taken three damage and now is knocked out. This is where now his ability resolves, but he's already been knocked out, so he does not get the plus one, plus one, so he is KO'd. Uh, Hmm. So yeah, he is not able to save himself from that damage. Because the active player gets initiative in the queue. Yes. Question for you, because as my mind is going through this, would this be a case, do you remember, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench at you here, Trivi. Do you remember that Hulk anger issues ruling they had with Magneto attacking him? Where Magneto did enough damage to knock him out, but his ability allowed him to grow and save himself? I I don't, but I think the difference there was the fact that because it was combat damage, I think it was one of these things where damage was being applied, but it wasn't resolving until the end of combat. I think is what the, the special circumstance was there. I think you're right. Okay, so in this case, because the damage is happening and you have to resolve everything fully before you move on to the next effect... Yes. He's being KO'd before you even get to the queue. It's in the queue, but there's nothing to apply when it comes through the queue. Right? right. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Got it. Okay, cool. That's helpful. Thank you. My second example uses a different Phantom Stranger, the uh, Mysticism. When an opposing die attacks, deal one damage to all other opposing character dice. So again, we'll assume Phantom Stranger is on level one with three defense. Right. So if you attack with three range one character dice, so the attack is declared. Those three range triggers go onto the queue. So does Phantom Stranger Mysticism three times because there are three dice attacking. Right. So now all three range characters resolve their damage. Say they all deal damage to Phantom Stranger. He's knocked out. But 
even though he was knocked out, he was still active when the attack happened. So his ability still resolves. So he'll now have each of those character dice deal one damage to all the other opposing character dice. That's really cool. Quite likely knocking all three of them out so they don't actually do damage. Yep. Yep. Two great examples. All right, so <laughs> shall we move into the more difficult, hairy questions of this thing now? Well, I was going to say, well, if we go into the blanking, I think you already covered that pretty well with Shriek and Ultraman using Kryptonite. Shriek has blanked Ultraman, use Kryptonite to blank Shriek. So Kryptonite goes into the queue, but when it goes into the queue, Ultraman doesn't have any text, so he does not activate. Now, if you would use a second Kryptonite, well, now Ultraman would go into the queue, followed by all four of the action dice behind him. And those are all four resolve and yeah, so on and so forth. Can we talk? There's one that I remember that threw me way back when, but now I'm thinking about with the queue, it kind of makes sense. Remember when there was a ruling about fabricate with Iron Fist? Yes. And it took me a while. I had to shake my head several times and bang it out on the wall to like understand how you could fabricate Iron Man or Iron, I'm sorry, Iron, Iron Fist, Fist and then me. put the clay and golem the, in the in the prep area and, and get your clay golem over. But but the cue I think explains it. Maybe you could go use that as an example. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I use that combo quite a bit. I, I really love that one. So you would have Iron Fist active and something else, another two cost fist or whatever. So to trigger fabricate, you knock out both Iron Man or Iron Man, Iron uh, Iron Fist <laughs> and the the other character, move them to your prep area. So you're resolving the purchase. Fabricate is the ability to purchase that clay golem. So you must completely resolve that ability and then put the clay golem into your use pile. So that's the first trigger that is put into the queue. The second trigger is Iron Man. Or, you're making me do Iron Man. Iron Fist. <laughs> Iron Fist. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, KO ability that lets you move a Fist character from your use pile to your prep area that has six cost or higher, I believe. So you would resolve Fabricate. So when Fabricate is done, resolve Iron Fist. You look in your use pile. Oh, hey, look, there's this shiny new uh, clay golem. I can move that over to my prep area. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I guess I got hung up. I'm like, well, well, he was already KO'd before, but, but actually because of the order of effects. You can choose the order and you can actually move that right behind the purchase, yep. which is cool. I think that's what hung some players up with the Ultraman Kryptonite thing because they thought, oh, okay, I can choose the order of effects. So I will choose the blanking first and then choose Ultraman. But at the time the blanking was played, Ultraman, Ultraman didn't choose. have text, right? It, it makes sense. You just have to sort of wrap your head around it. Yep. Okay, cool. So that's the concept of the queue. Is there anything else you wanted to cover that we might have missed? Uh, any fine uh, points? I, I can try to go into real quick the ruling with Dwarf Wizard and Constantine. Sure, yeah, let's this do that. This is one of these sayings where, okay, you have Constantine active. Your opponent fields Dwarf Wizard and targets Constantine's die. So that, that die becomes blanked. So that means that future triggers of Constantine would no longer be able to take effect. But mm. when it's just the die... That means the card still has its ability. So the card's ability is still present on the board. So whatever Constantine had named, when you field it next, it's still going to take effect because the card is still unblanked. Right. So like, for example, Kryptonite would stop Constantine, but Slander would not. Correct. Slander has the same problem. Right? And, and yes. Shriek would stop Constantine, but Dwarf Wizard would not. Correct. Because Shriek targets the card. Let me ask you this. Would stop it for that turn, but on subsequent turns? Would, yeah, on subsequent turns, yeah, it'd be, it'd be blanked. It'd be blanked. Okay, yeah. cool. Just wanted to clarify that. I remember back in the day, there was a big question about what if you knock out Constantine? Remember that whole ruling? Like, he still remembers, right? I think which applies right. here, right? Maybe, can you go into that a little bit? So yeah, it, it applies until the end of turn, because I think the, the main difference there is Constantine's effect is an effect that goes onto the player at the beginning of the turn. Right. So it lasts throughout that turn, regardless of whether he's on the board or not. Yep. I guess the only way to stop it would be to, to blank his card, right? Correct. At that point. Right. Okay. You know, one of the other things I wanted to talk about with you real quick was your new super cool Warhammer campaign play variant, which you described in a YouTube video and which I'll link to in the show notes at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 105. Uh, you've done a ton of YouTube videos on Warhammer for the Dice Masters player, which I have to thank you for, because I just didn't have any knowledge of the lore, and it was really helpful to have that. But this campaign play variant intrigues me. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. <laughs> 
I've always been you know, aware of 40K. I've, I've followed the lore, played all the PC games. I'd, I'd never actually played it on tabletop. But with 40K Dice Masters came out, I got a little bit more interested in it. And it turns out Games Workshop just put out a smaller variant of Warhammer 40K called Kill Team, oh, cool. where you just have your small faction of troops going out. Well, all the missions in Kill Team are objective-based. It's not just you kill your opponent. It is claim this area, take care of these five points, stuff like that. And that sort of got the juices flowing, I guess, for thinking about playing Dice Masters in a similar fashion, having it be not just killing your opponent, having to actually capture areas and have objective-based play. So there's other ways to win. Achieve the mission. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. This this is actually super interesting to me because my favorite game that isn't dice masters or chess which will those two will always hold the top spot but is descent journeys in the dark 2.0 which is oh so fun so i'm excited <laughs> to try this <laughs> all right so go so go on we're, we're, you've, you've piqued our interest here okay so uh, basically the idea was just having these other missions so you would randomly determine your mission each game i was actually doing a long campaign organized play event with kill team where it was 12 weeks and you had your points that you build up each week and whoever had the most points at the end of it was the winner. So I thought, oh, we could do something similar with Dice Masters and have our players build up points and they get so many points for being there each week. And then after so many weeks, we can say, oh, you have the most points. So you're the big winner for the whole campaign. And so, yeah, we had four different missions I had come up with and we we actually did a three-week campaign event. It went well. Uh, Our players enjoyed it. There was a couple issues with one of the missions. Uh, it's the attack the bunker mission. It was probably a little too convoluted. Well, you know, first first time iteration here, so that's cool. Right. So maybe next time around you you tweak it a little bit. And I would also say that uh, I feel that it's one of these things where it's probably best for you know, more veteran players to do it because from what I've seen is it did cause the the newbies to be a little confused, but the veteran players. Took right to it. I mean, I had no issues whatsoever. To me, I looked at it, I thought, wow, this would be fun, especially when we have these kind of lulls, you know, between sets and stuff. It'd be right. something interesting to try and do at your local gaming store, which we're exactly. always looking for something fresh. Yep. That's awesome. Well, can, can you go over what the missions were? I, I'd be curious. Sure, yeah. So our first one was uh, Terror Tactics, where basically the secondary goal was just KOing as many dice as possible. So, yeah, we went on a victory point scale. Uh, so cool. for every five dice you KO'd of your opponents, you got one victory point. And then also reducing your opponent to zero life gave you two victory points. So if you went through and knocked out 20 of your opponent's dice, but they ended up knocking out none of your stuff and ended up winning, you would still win. I got it. Because cool. you would have okay. four victory points to their two. Okay. That one was pretty good. Everyone seemed to like that one. There's also Gather Intelligence. So in this one, we... Say a a relay beacon has fallen on the battlefield, and instead of attacking your opponent, you need to declare an attack on the beacon. And for every five damage that's been dealt to the beacon, you get a victory point. And you can also target that with like a tune damage or with uh, anything that you could do to a a player. And that one also worked really well, and people were sort of racing to, to deal damage to it. Cool. So that's gather intelligence. Yes. Everything has the, whoever KOs the opponent gets two victory points, and then there's other ways to get victory points. The third was called Sap Defenses. So Uh this one, you're trying to infiltrate your opponent's defenses and wreak havoc from the inside. So the first non-sidekick character die that you field becomes your sapper for the rest of the game. (laughs) So he's the only one that counts when they get He's the only one that counts. So basically every time that character die gets through unblocked, you gain one victory point. So I'm seeing that the building challenges are starting to swarm through my, my head, but yes. go, go on. <laughs> okay. That was basically it. So, so it was still a regular game, but you got a victory point every time that one specific character went through. And this also caused interesting situations where like someone would buy their sapper, which would they have like four dice of who they plan to be their sapper. But then they'd also buy like, you know, a four cost dreadnought that gives everything range. And so that would roll first before what they had intended to be their sapper. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah. So they so it's field like, them or not. Yeah. Yeah. So they would have to decide, okay, crap, I'm not going to attack with this dreadnought. So I'm not going to field it. And I have to wait till I get the thing that I have four dice of fielded. Could I hit a little time out here just because I have a couple questions just to understand the whole thing. So I'm assuming that before each game, you don't know what, what mission you're going to be playing when you sit Correct. down to play against your point. So you randomly choose what the mission is. So you're 
your team what better have like an unblockable on it just in case you get sap defenses, right? Correct. Or something that can get through. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So that, that's interesting. So it's a team building challenge as well. I like it. Right. All right. Sorry. Time back in again. Ding. <laughs> and yeah, the, the fourth mission was the one that was a little convoluted. I, I liked it, but it didn't seem to quite gel very well, which was uh, control the bunker. So basically, uh-huh. uh, when a character die would get through unblocked, you could set that die aside and have it, quote unquote, occupy the bunker. And it would basically sit there out of play, not active, and just be in the bunker. So then every time during the start of your turn, if you had a die in the bunker, you would get a victory point. Cool. But damage would not clear from it. So basically, if you had a 2-2 in there, if your opponent attacked during their turn, something got through and it was like a 3-2 or did, did enough damage to knock out the thing in the bunker, your die in the bunker that would go to used and they would take over the bunker. But they'd have damage on that die from whatever the, whatever the attack stat from the die that was in there, right? No, I did not have the die that was in there deal damage to the die that was attacking the bunker. Okay, got it. That, that's another thing that probably made it a little little convoluted. I probably should have had that, but <laughs> did not. Okay. All right. So so you want to do a little more work on a, uh, control the bunker. Yes. But it seems like a cool concept. I still, I there's something there, right? For sure. I think so. I think it's just one of these things where you need to have everyone know well ahead of time what everything is, like know the missions, have a reference up that you can have them easily uh, access. So like at our store, we have a projector that uh-huh. shines up on the wall. If I had had my act together, I probably would have <laughs> had the uh, the missions up on the wall to remind people what, what everything was. That's uh, cool, though. It's what a cool idea. I, I really like it. It seems to really lend itself perfectly to the Warhammer set. Right? Yeah, I, I don't regret it at all. I think it went pretty well. I just think yeah, the, the one mission could have probably been spelled out a little bit better. But otherwise, my players liked it. They, they seem to really like it. So I think we'll try it here. And, and are you going to revisit it again with the second uh, Warhammer box, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So as the Sultan of Swarm, we would be remiss not to talk about the intricacies of that keyword. So how do you use it most effectively? How do you see people getting it wrong? Well, yeah, the thing that people always seem to have trouble with is knowing that you have to have a swarm die active before you can draw swarm, before you get the extra. Can you do us a favor and just actually define swarm for us real quick for those who are listening who haven't had experience with it? Okay, so yeah, swarm is a keyword ability that when you have a die active with swarm, when you draw a matching die, you may draw an additional die during your clear and draw step. Got it. And it's only during clear and draw. And that wouldn't cause bag burn, right? That's another thing that people always seem to get thrown by. It does not. Yeah. Bag burn only happens if you can't draw four. Not not if you run out. <laughs> Correct. If you've already drawn more than four. So, okay, sorry. Anyway, so you, you're right. People, a lot of times when they first pull, they don't understand that they have to have one in the field before they can start swarming, right? Correct. That, and it also has to be a matching one. So if they have more than one thing with swarm... You can't swarm your Bateri battle stack if you have a Cobalt active. You know, it has to be a matching die. Unless you have that Weir Rat, right? Did yes. you ever get that Weir Rat card to work? Never. <laughs> never. <laughs> I tried. Okay, if Derby can't get the Weir Rat working, nobody can get the Weir Rat working. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so, all right. So, how do you use it? I mean, because you, you are the master of this one, right? Uh, well... <laughs> I, I don't. I don't claim to be the master, but people say that. Uh, You're um, the first, at least, to exploit it to its full potential. I'll just put it that way for sure. Well, early on, yeah, I used it primarily with the, the the Johnny Swarm, where it was just fielding a lot of stuff to deal damage, which was wonderful. But it also it makes for a, a excellent source of ramp. Uh, the way I like to use it is buy it early and use that as my extra energy I'm going to get for purchasing my big characters, uh, my five, six, seven costs. Try to field sidekicks to get them out of the way so you're getting more swarm. And generally don't want to have more than one of your swarm die active. And if you do have one active, you probably want to get it out of there. And that's basically the key. <laughs> Any tips to protecting your swarmer? That always seems to be like a big issue with swarm, right? You just kind of keep that one guy in there somehow because otherwise you get a clogged bag, right? Right. I think it's one of these things where you sort of have to read the table a bit. If you see that your opponent is going to be using like your magic missile and they're likely to want to keep zapping your dude, figure out either a way to protect. So like queen grab stab that your character dice with a purchase cost of two or less can't be targeted. Yeah, That's really nice. I do like her quite a bit or something to nerf their globals. Like back when we had um, Oracle Mm -hmm. to make globals cost one more, Uh, that would make it harder for them to pay for that. Or you can also sometimes just use swarm as a red herring. 
if you just want to buy one swarm die and let them nuke it, let them waste energy trying to keep that one die off the field. If they're going to do that, maybe just go a different route, but still like, oh, you keep on knocking out my swarm guy. Oh, oh, (laughs) (laughs) right. You dastardly man. For for me, like I like swarm, but it's hard to get some serious churn going with swarm because with the exception of multiple man and dark side, who I think are probably hands down the two best swarmers who have ever existed, and maybe Bateria is up there with them, but whatever. You can only get three dice of churn with that in a turn. So for me, I've always wanted something extra with, with the swarm, right? I've always wanted that plus one, plus one for each of them you have out there that you get with Bateria. Like, are you on the same page with that or is swarm on alone like good enough for you? Um, I'm actually kind of feeling that swarm is actually okay on its own. Just as long as it's like a two cost, I'm still pretty happy with it. I mean, obviously, if I have an option of picking the swarm plus infiltrate of the Kree soldier, yeah, I, I will go with that. And that's actually another nice thing with the uh, Kree soldier is having him as a swarm. The uh, force attack globals. Yeah. That was something that always sucked as a swarm player. But now, oh, <laughs> right. okay, sure, it'll attack. I'll just infiltrate it, bring it back. <laughs> yeah, that's a total peanut butter and jelly combo, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all in one card. It's so great. But I, I think there's some good alternate things. Like if you want to go all in on swarm, there's also the bolt swarm, uh, Chingua, the rare one. If it gets knocked out, you get to prep a die. Prep a die. Yeah, so go so, ahead and knock me out. I'll, I'll prep, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, if you can nuke it all you want, I still get ramp off of it. So Yeah, so those are two really good options around a couple of the globals that might affect it. Have you ever tried any of the three-cost swarm? Is it ever worth it, in your opinion? Uh... It can be. It worked back in the day with both the Cobalt and the... Uh, Sturge. Sturge, Little yes, Sturge, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. We're basically built up with Cobalt first and then get the Johnny Storm out and then third go for the Sturge. And that could sort of be extra damage to get through if it, if it does go through. Did you use the Super Rare or the Uncommon for the super Sturge? Rare. Do you remember Super Rare? Right? I mean, super for me, rare. like, Swarm has always for me kind of had to be gravy because it's hard to... Have you ever experienced that with... With Swarm, it's kind of hard to keep like a four in, four out kind of consistency to your drawing rhythms. It can be, but I think what helps is like I was for a while, I was playing with the the Cosmic Cube that mm-hmm. if you draw it, you can send it to the use pile along with whatever many dice and draw more. That actually worked really well with Swarm because those Swarm triggers from those draws still counted. Yeah, that's super churn for sure. Yes. Yeah, I never thought about that. That would work with the uh, common Rip Hunter as well, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I yeah, did it first with him. And I found it was even easier with the Cosmic Cube. Okay, cool. What do you see people getting wrong playing Swarm? You having had a lot of experience with it. Is there anything you say like, oh boy, that's a misplay? Or... Trying too hard. Just because you have Swarm doesn't necessarily mean you have to Swarm every game. Right. Like if your opponent is bringing other ramp tools and they are completely trying to fight your Swarm, yeah. let them. You know, if they're going to waste <laughs> their time fighting against what you're trying to do, just use their own tricks against them. Right. Back in the day with PXG, yeah, I wasn't having a mask character, but it was sort of like I would use your Professor X and then just have Swarm on top of that. If you're fighting against my Swarm, that's fine. I'll just do other things. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah, and one of the things I've always loved about your Swarm teams is how you would synergize so well in terms of energy needs. So you had a lot of fist globals because you had fists aplenty with all the cobalts and stuff, yes. right? I mean, I've seen people who try to swarm with fists and then they have mass globals or bolt globals and it's not really helping that much. But if you've got a fist pump and cone of cold or something on top of it, then it works great, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And if you can just yeah, bring in extra ramp in there and make sure you're getting those fists when you need them, get some overcrush in there, you, yeah, you're, you're golden. <laughs> That's actually the, the one 2017, the, the one year I don't we don't talk about. <laughs> I, still, <laughs> I was still happy well. with my 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 team that year. It just it was yeah. it was bolt swarm, and that just didn't didn't work. It just didn't feel <laughs> natural to you, right? <laughs> I was trying bolt swarm, and I was using uh, the foot ninja where I only got three dice. So it's right. Yeah, you talk about yeah. handicapping, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know I've already kind of covered this this episode, but. With the new Clayface Global, using a Fist Swarm character like Poxwalker, yeah. and using that with the uh, Cree Captain Global, you can get four costs for two, and you're swarming, again, for me, as I said earlier, the swarm is just, for me, kind of gravy, but it's still nice to have. For sure. It's, it's fun to use right. that. 
So are there any keywords or cards that Swarm plays particularly well with? Obviously, Infiltrate. Mentioned that earlier. Yep. And and Overcrush. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, those, are, those are the main ones. doesn't really work with a tune yet. I, I was actually trying to use it with Intimidate, with that, that Punisher, that it gives everything that fielded after him Intimidate. So get him out. Then you're swarming. So hopefully you'll get like two, three Swarm characters to come in, Intimidate off uh, some of their blockers, and then get through for big damage. I like that quite a bit. Just never yeah. quite worked how I liked, but it was still, I was happy with it. That that seems like you almost, yeah, I've tried that one. Fabricate with that card, everything with that card. I've tried to get that card to work and it works occasionally, but it's just not consistent. Enough. Yeah. It's like you, you have to get that like perfect draw and perfect roll and it, you, it, it's hard to get. And then fielding costs hurt you. You're like, yeah. no, not level three. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. Anything that wrecks it. That you see, okay, I'm looking across the table right now. That card's going to wreck me. Um, well, Magic Missile was always, yeah, problematic, yeah. but less so now. Uh, I feel I've got enough other things that can help me with it. Magic you? Missile is also falling out of popularity, I've noticed. Yeah. Bolts are just, it's there's Yonti, but like that's not like an energy card. Like You want that on his character face. There's just not a whole lot of Bolt synergy Except going on the as Chewinga, there used right? to be. Well, the Chewinga, but like he's good, but I don't see people playing him. So, right. like... The, it's falling out of popularity, Magic Missile is. What do you think about that new Poison Ivy Global? I was thinking, you know, when I first saw that, I thought, ooh, that might not be bad against Swarm. See, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that, and it is mm-hmm. potentially nasty, yeah. but I'm usually buying my Swarm characters very early, and if they're going to spend two energy just to handicap me while, and basically not get any advancement on their team, they're not making any progress with their buy order, Right. so be it. I mean, if they want to sacrifice two energy. I mean, yeah, yeah. it goes right back to what you said earlier, right? Like people who try too hard to get their, their swarm going. If you're going to be putting all this effort to masks, which were valuable, that's, that's a lot, <laughs> yeah. right? Two masks yeah. to stop my swarm then go right at it. I'll do other things. I guess the only time it would actually be worth it is if you looked across and you saw like the Bateri battle stack was your win condition and your only win condition, right? And then maybe it'd be worth it if it's just like a source of ramp and extra fists. Maybe it's not. It'd be interesting to see the economy of that and how how that plays out because that... I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but I think you're right. Instinctively, it feels like you're spending two to do nothing and you're spending two to at least get something. So there you go. One of the other issues I see people having problems with Swarm sometimes is using it with Resurrection and globals that draw and prep dice outside the clear and draw step. Yes. What do, you, what do you think about that? In terms of Resurrection might be a card that doesn't synergize all that well with Swarm characters. I actually, I have always pretty much disliked having Resurrection on a team with Swarm. It's right. one of these things where if my opponent has it, I'm actually reluctant to use it unless I know that I am not going to be drawing any swarm. Right. And I guarantee you, like if I look at my bag and I see three sidekicks and a swarm die yeah. and I go to resurrect, I'm going to draw that swarm die. It just every time, every right? damn time. <laughs> that's, a, that's where you know that the gods are alive and the fate is a real thing. And, it happens and, every and time. for the record, this is how I feel about big entrance. And, you know, you listen to the podcast you might know that i know some people can use it quite well but i personally am not a fan because if i've got four sidekicks and a big entrance in the bag every single time i will draw four sidekicks (laughs) i will never draw the big entrance which is why i always if i do on the rare occasion play that card i always play it with villainous or resurrection or atlas because it irritates me to the core well then lucan prepare for some serious irritation because it's time to move on to a section of the show we like to call Breaking It Down. All right, Jimmy, uh, I've seen you play this basic action a couple times now, and I was impressed by the calculated way you employed this die. And we're talking big entrance. Can you tell us your overall thoughts on this basic action and what's your strategy to get the most out of it? So yeah, big entrance is one of those basic actions that I love early game. Like early game, it is brilliant. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Later game, not as much. Uh, (laughs) Right. It's one of those dice that if I could put it back on the card after a couple turns, I'd love to do that. That's a cool mechanic maybe to introduce into the game, you know? And if it comes up, maybe reevaluate big entrance, right? Yeah. I mean, they have it in a lot of other deck builders, you know? Anyway, sorry. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I interrupt. So you like it early game. So sorry, go on. And yeah, it's... It's one of these cards that I tend to use a lot. It's it's generally safe on a team. You're not going to get killed by bringing big entrance to a game. Uh, it's not going <laughs> to bite you in the butt. 
But right. it's also one of these things with how often I like these two cost swarm characters, the possibilities with it are so wonderful that it's it's hard to resist bringing it to, to a game. So. so you like to buy it early. Yes. Where and when do you usually buy it? That's, I guess, the big thing. I know some people like to get it turn one. I actually kind of like it better turn two but it just it mm-hmm. sort of depends on what your opponent's doing what you got to face against how fast the game is going it, it's one of these things where you just sort of have to know know your your buy order uh ahead of time know what sort of game you're playing right with with a meta currently calls for but yeah there's a lot of like cool little things you can do with it like I've always enjoyed back with Red Dragon, pay a bolt and then buy it for one. So if you're going first, that still gives yeah. you another die to, you know, like resurrect with resurrect so that you or won't something. Yeah. Draw four sidekicks. <laughs> yep. Buying turn two, which is something I saw. You might have even bought it turn three against me, which I thought was kind of brilliant because you already had a bag full of fists by that point in time. So you yes. knew that when you played Big Entrance, you weren't going to be like, ah, oh, damn, I rolled bolts and masks and I needed fists. You know, you'd already loaded up. Can you talk about that a little bit, which I think is was, was really brilliant? It's one of these things like if you buy it turn three, by then hopefully you've already got like a swarm character out. Uh, so if you have that swarm character fielded, you can use Big Entrance and then buy three of that swarm character, put them straight into your bag, and you know the next turn, as long as that swarm character doesn't die, you're getting big swarm that yeah. next turn. Something else that, yeah, going back to that uh, clay face, big entrance with that clay face, getting it early, play big entrance, buy a two cost swarmer for one, put it in your used, use clay face to, to pull that uh, swarmer back into the reserve pool, put it on two fists, spend those yeah. two fists. To buy two more of that swarmer, put it in your bag. Put it in your bag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting because I've never really considered buying big entrance out of my first three turns because I'm like, oh, well, I've already bought everything that I need in my first two turns, right? Right. But in my second turn, I've also never really thought of buying it either because for me, the turn two is always a big global turn. I buy like one, two costs and then I Heimdall Atlas or like Cake Atlas or Cake Res or you get the idea here like I, I it's a big global turn for me right and i think it also depends on whether you're going for big bodies or lots of bodies right and i, I tend to like to go for the lots of body strategy <laughs> right which is a different way you know get the field wide and quick you know yeah. and I, I like that perspective because a lot of times i see people playing big entrance and they go for it turn one and then they get it and they're very excited and they roll and their, their energy just does not cooperate with them you yeah. Know, so they've kind of had a wasted turn too, which mm-hmm. is such a big turn in the in the whole scheme of things. Well, like for me, if I'm going for fists with my big entrance, I will always have Yarn Bjorn with me. You know? Or or I've seen the other big entrance thing is kind of like I've seen a couple of players happen where they had they were using the big entrance with a uh, guy and, and they had that that one game where it happened really early where they got their all their guys to come out and they got big entrance lined up and all the energy lined up and you know they had the turn 3 kill with guy. And it's been like crack for them ever since. They're kind of chasing that every time, you know. But it's very inconsistent, you know, if you if you play it that way. If you don't have the energy you need in your bag already, right? Right. Yeah. It, it's it's risky. I mean, it, it's one of these things, sort of like parallax, where yeah, every now and then it can just turn out perfect, and you're just like, "This is the greatest thing ever." And then twenty games on, it's like, "Why did I do this?" <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this what do you do later in the game with this die when it starts coming around and clogging your bag is it what's the best thing is it just roll it for energy or do you just have to just see how it looks on well the board? It, it sort of depends like if i'm using that cosmic cube i can just throw it back into the uh use pile there you go that's one of the reasons i like that die yeah or rip hunter or rip hunter but otherwise, it's generally hope it rolls energy. Uh, <laughs> well, unless I'm playing a tune, then it doesn't matter because right. you can still play it. Uh, you're still getting the discount even if you don't buy anything. So it's still an action die to deal damage. So It's kind of right now, at least the way I see it, sharing similar territory with Clayface because they both work really well with two costs. You can get a lot of two costs really quickly with yeah. Clayface, and you can get a lot of two costs really quickly with Big Entrance. Yep. So it's, it's kind of like, especially with Parasite, it's kind of just a judgment call. Do you want to do the, the Big Entrance way, or do you want to do the Clayface way? Well, I, that's what one thing I want to talk about also. With Big Entrance, it seems to be, I see people misplaying the die a little bit by playing it on high-cost teams. Oh, yeah. Or just no. three-cost you know, teams. It, like, it wants to be a two-cost at most, right? Like the way The way that I put it is, if you're buying lottery tickets, don't buy more than two, because if you have one and you buy two, that's double chances. Like, it works a lot better when you're having it instead of thirding it, you know? Like, it's... 
That's just reminding me of something else some of my players do that drives me nuts because they, they, they love big entrance as well. But if they buy like two of them or they buy three of them, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right, right. right. I, 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 that's that's one of those weight. never buy more than one. <laughs> after, after like the first one, maybe second time it comes around, it becomes dead weight. And yeah. it doesn't stack, right? It just says one less, right? Correct. If you build two, two big entrances, it's not going to make any more discount. It's just going to no. be a waste, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> and like also, if you don't roll it, if it rolls energy, now you have to just be playing like a normal person and you wasted three energy. So as, as a consummate pilot, I would love to hear a couple of your, your favorite tactics or combat tricks you'd like to share or discuss with us. I, I, I love letting people hit me hard. This is something that also a lot of our players get wrong. So they'll attack with like, you know, four dice and only leave themselves two blockers. I'll be at 20 life. They'll be at like eight. So I'll, I'll roll the dice on that. So I'll sure, I'll take all that damage. I'll go down to five. All right, now you only have two blockers left. Let's see what I can field. A lot of times I'll, I'll win it next turn. That's something that's really important. We haven't said it on the podcast yet, I guess, because but like for the newer players especially, really useful tip. Life is a resource. It's just like energy, except you only have 20 for a full game. So you can spend that however you want to spend it. I mean, you just have to keep in mind, you only have 20 life. Yeah. But it's it's a resource. It's expendable. It's not, and it's Trub- not as precious as you think. Yeah, exactly. and in Truby's example here, you can look at it and think, okay, I'm going to take 16 here, or I'm going to take you know 12 here. But if I look in my bag, there's a good chance I got a 75% chance that I'm going to be bringing out eight damage or something. You know, you can just do that math and then let them swing through, right? Right. But also be very careful that you count out that damage properly and make sure you take account of all uh, globals or spin up, spin downs. Like that was one that uh, good old uh, transfer power. That one got me a couple times where it was like, oh, yeah, you're just going to come through for two. Oh, I transfer power. I'm going to deal eight. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 When you see transfer power or splendor stagings on the board, you take, take a closer look before you decide yes. to let some through, right? Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to the section we like to call Roll It Blunder Blunder. <laughs> so. For our roll and blunder section, we ask our guests to share an in-game error that they'd be comfortable sharing with the world at large that might be instructive to the listeners. If you have a memorable one of these, Truby, we'd love to hear it. Oh, geez. There's so many. Um, <laughs> I know. Oh, trying to decide which one. <laughs> yeah, these are always great. Um, probably the WKO I went to where I, the one where I qualified for nationals in 2016, I think. Okay. I was doing the fabricate to get the purple worm that when you attack, Ooh. it can knock out something else. Uh, it was a seven yeah. cost, but basically the team was doing really well all day. Uh-huh. And I got in against Guy Rush. And it was one of these things where I got into the top eight and it was the first round. I was getting kind of nervous, like, oh, wow. Oh, well, yeah, it's best, best I've done in a little while. And <laughs> I just completely cracked. Like the guy went guy rush first game and I did OK. Like I, I ended up losing, but it was close. So second game, I uh, thought, OK, well, I'll, I'll switch up tactics a little bit. And I bought something just completely idiotic that <laughs> I think it was like turn one. I think I actually did buy like a big entrance or something and didn't just buy characters to get out bodies to block guy. Right. So I, I bought big entrance and then I ended up buying like, I think I rolled badly and didn't get the right energy <laughs> to buy any characters. And yeah. it was over and like, I think yeah. turn four, turn five, because I just oh, didn't, didn't buy characters against what's the name? It's one of those things, situational awareness. I knew he was going to be coming with a right. ton of stuff and I didn't think to buy characters to stop it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. There's times when I've faced guy where I'm trying to roll characters and they just can't come out and it's just like, well, <laughs> there, there it is. You know? Yeah. You, you got to be really careful when you buy two actions for your first two turns. This is something I see a lot of new players do. They buy like two investigations in their first two turns or two superhero registration acts. But now you have ramp, but are you sure that I can't kill you in the time that you've taken to set up this, I'm not going to lie, kind of slow ramp, like without without like a spot or an extra piece investigation isn't, isn't great. So just beware of the overactioning. Especially if you're facing someone that can stomp you pretty fast. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, most, most of my errors involve going off of my, my set by order and trying to improvise and just falling flat on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Happens to us all. Happens to us all. Well, thank you for sharing that. Also, that's something 
if you go to a big tournament like Nats or Worlds, what I always experience is I, I, I get there, I've practiced like my first seven turns in every situation against a certain team, I can have those memorized. But then I get there and I roll something and I'm just like, ooh, but now I could do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Do what you're used to doing. It's always going to pay off. It's going to screw you over. I lost my first game at Worlds this year because I was like trying to do something fancy and I messed up my bag. It Don't do it. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> just stick to the plan. It's so much better. Yeah, it's one of those things like, oh, I could buy the six cost turn two. <laughs> but right, yeah. right. Especially with Clayface. Yeah. I literally had a game yesterday where I bought a six cost on turn one and it totally screwed my back, but I just wanted to do it because I could do it. Because <laughs> you know? there was double Clayface on the this board. This especially <laughs> applies with PXG. You do not break ramp to buy your fancy six cost. Oh, like, yeah. If your plan was to ramp, do the ramp. Right. Don't buy your, your, your six-cost Jinzo or whatever, even if he is really good. It'll end up biting you in the back later because it won't come out for four turns. All right, all right. Well, let's move on then to a section we like to call the, the Hall, Hall of, of Fame. Fame. All right, Truby, for the Hall of Fame section, we've been asking our guests to nominate a retired or semi-retired player for our imaginary Dice Masters Hall of Fame. And then at the end of the season, we're going to count up all the nominations and induct someone into this hall. If you can pick someone, we'd love to hear it. Well, yeah, I, I sort of mentioned him earlier, and I think I gotta got to mention him here is Dane Lumen. He was running the Dice Masters events in Morgantown here before I took over. And basically, I, I cut my chops playing against him. He was badass. <laughs> he was <laughs> he, yeah. he was hard to play against. And he, basically, if I haven't had all my early games against him, I wouldn't be nearly the player I am now. So yeah, right. he, he definitely would be my, my nominee for Hall of Fame. Awesome. Awesome. Magic the Gathering is what he originally came from. And after Dice Masters, he went back to that. He's, he's still doing real well. Now he's running the, the Magic the Gathering events for Four Horsemen. But yeah, he obviously got his whole family hooked so that we still have his little brother playing. And... <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, I think every scene thrives when they have a couple players like that raising the proverbial bar. And also, I got to say, another thing about Dane real quick was also he was a very good ambassador for the game. He was very good at getting other people to come play it. I try to be as good as he was, but I am I am just not sociable enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good job, but Dane, yeah. That's a huge portion, I think, that's overlooked a lot. Like the, yeah. being an ambassador of the game is super, super important. Yeah, he, so. he was always very sociable, and yeah, I, I'm not quite as sociable as he as he is. So. <laughs> my, my brother's always making fun of us for like every time we have someone over and they see the dice masters out there, they're like, "Oh, what, what's this?" And then my brother's like, "Oh God, here they go again!" <laughs> like doing their old advertising campaign thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, Dane, you have now been nominated to the Hall of Fame. Well, Truby, I think that wraps us up. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to cover before we say Jero and Scale? Uh, no, just I don't think I ever got to say personally, congratulations, guys, on your performance at Worlds. That, that was oh, very, uh, very proud of both of you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I can also say I've beaten both of you in, in major tournaments. So <laughs> That's, uh, That is, true. Wait, that have is I, true. Have I played you before? Yeah. We played at the uh, the Nationals this last time. Yeah, yeah, Truby and I, we've locked horns on several occasions. We've had always had memorable matches, no, usually no, no, with no, me no. making some that was, that was That was against my dad. I didn't play you. I watched you, but I, I didn't we, play you. We played later on that day, I thought. Or maybe I was thinking, no, of, I, I'm, I'm 90% sure I, I played you. I've... I've watched like two or three of your games against my dad, but I've I've never I've never actually played you myself. Oh, really? I've seen you, I, I saw you beat him in the most recent national championships. Ah. <laughs> well, well, then, just wait, man. I'm I'm coming for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair enough. The gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> They better throw Nationals for Dice Masters this year, I swear. <laughs> All right. Truby, well, thank you so much for spending some time with us, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. I hope to see you in, at Origins. All right. But we'll great. see. So, still a little while off, but uh, yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> yep, yep. And hi to Melissa for us again. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'll let her know you said hi. Thanks, man. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. On to the puzzle. Take it away, Lucan. 
After a rift appeared in the space-time continuity, we were left with a duplication of the elders of the universe. In particular, two Tantalir Tavans, each with their own unique collection of frustrating nasties. Can you help decipher who is the collectingest collector of them all? Come solve the puzzle at rollwithunder.xyz forward slash 105 puzzle. All one word. Yes, only one word. <laughs> all right. Shinjiro and Scale in the Rira-nish. Indeed, it has come to an end. Come join us again in a fortnight, folks. Keep rolling them dice. Slang of all. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at rollinthunder.xyz, without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arge or lucan at rollinthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling, August Narlagajia the Lao. We'll be talking again in two weeks' time with another guest. So stay tuned. Enough said. Congratulations to James and Mr. Laurier for coming in one and two in that. To James. Okay, what did I say? James. Richard said James. <laughs> you didn't say that. There was no S. <laughs>